and welcome to another episode of Church Matters, our podcast for SGC Marlton in New Jersey. This is episode three. I'm Jason Reyes, executive pastor. And with me is Warren Betcher, our senior pastor. Warren, good to be here again. All right. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? I mean, sun is out, blue skies, the Chiefs won. Yep. All right. And, come uh, on, Andy Reid. It's Andy Reid. So this is a Philadelphia living vicariously. Right <laughs> exactly. Hey, it's part of the family tree, isn't it? That's and right. so we can celebrate that right. and, and hope that they do get a win. Although all the talk about Mahomes being the greatest ever is a bit premature, at least from my standpoint. A little bit. Okay. All yeah, right. So you'd bit. agree with that. I appreciate the opportunity that we have to be able to get together as well today and talk about the church, the church that we love and really are so blessed to be a part of. Amen. This past Sunday, let's just get in. This past Mm -hmm. Sunday was, uh, we heard uh, message three in our series, What's Love Got to Do With It? And as we had a chance to also observe Sanctity of Life Sunday, and in light of these two things, I want to ask you a few follow-up questions related to both. And if we have time, a little bit more as well. Sure. Uh, to talk about some of the other things that are coming down the pike for us as a church. But the first is, do you remember the title of last Sunday's message and your text? I appreciate how you entrap me in these <laughs> meetings. So so right away, I'm being put set up to fail. If I remember, it's no big deal. Hey, dude, it's and dementia it, test, and you're well, getting that age, you know? I mean, yeah, we, get, we yeah. need to help. You so know? this so. is a lose-lose. If I remember, <laughs> well, he should know it. If I don't, I'm an idiot. So a complete idiot. So it was... Obeying love. Hey, there you there go. You ding, go. ding, 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 yeah. ding. Yeah. <laughs> Although I was recounting quickly in my mind, everything else was buying time to try yes, to, rem- I, to search I, the, the archives. I hear you. And, and what, how about your text? Do you remember uh, that? John 14, 15 through 24. Excellent. Uh, and your main point was Christ's love to us calls for our obedience to him. Right. And I like the, the way that you to us and then our obedience. But in the sermon, you made the point that love requires evidence. Now, it's helpful to hear how this plays out functionally, but in making this point, I'm sure that some people heard it and maybe even sat up a little bit higher in their seats and they were listening, saying in their own minds, I thought that the gospel is all about grace, 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 not works, works, works. So in that, help our listeners understand what you mean by this statement of love requiring evidence. And it's, it's good. I hope people would stand up because mm-hmm. we, we have such a great gospel. God doesn't save us 90% of the way. He saves us the complete way. The great thing of Christianity is God comes to save his people. They don't reach to save themselves and try to get to God. So it's the unique thing of Christianity. So if we really preach grace well, it should raise the question of, does it matter? Right. Do our works, does our behavior matter at all? Because God has paid for all our sins, past, present, and future. We don't relate to God ever based on our performance. However, love does demand evidence. Faith Mm -hmm. demands evidence. Scripture is clear on both. Both love and faith demand evidence. So even if you get into Hebrews, you know, those people that had faith, well, there was evidence of their faith. Right, right. Uh, It wasn't sort of a theoretical faith. And certainly in in John and 1 John, the evidence of love bears evidence. So I think if we say we love, that can be sentimental. We have to define that. Right. uh, Of what that actually means. But it's easy to say it. So again, in the area of faith, if I use that as an analogy or a comparison, I was yeah, even the demons believe. And actually, the demons really do know there's a God. They lived with God at one point. James 2, so they didn't have a belief problem right. in that sense. Right. And yet, they were clearly not saved. There was no corresponding love and affection and loyalty and actions. Well, in the same way, if I say I love and there's no evidence, you don't love. So I could say I love my wife, but meanwhile, not care for her, not try to provide, not try to love her, uh, you know, in, in the sense of reaching out, taking initiative towards her. You would say, well, that's sort of empty words. Right. 
Words that don't have actions behind them are empty words. Right. Which is in light of what Jesus said in right. John 14. I mean, what was pretty stark is here he is, he's saying this the night right, right before his betrayal. Okay, and subsequent crucifixion, and just the statement. I mean, which is our memory verse. So again, want to point this out to our, mm -hmm. to our listeners. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John mm -hmm. fourteen fifteen. But it continue on in verse twenty one, which I think is where you're getting this point from. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And so it seems to be that evidence. It really does kind of, in a sense prove or authenticate mm -hmm. the profession of love. If you think through the, the weaknesses in our culture and as it relates to evidencing true and genuine love, both to God and to one another, what would be some of the concerns that you'd have just in our culture alone with regards to our contemporary culture with love and that just love is just whatever you define it to be? I think we clearly see relationships become very utilitarian. Mm. So in the sense of what's in it for me, and the moment it stops serving me, I'm out. So I think we see across the board a lack of commitment. Social evidence would, would show that. Not just divorce rates. Divorce alone. rates alone would mm -hmm. show all that. I think that's what relationships just get jettisoned easily. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to whine about how the world is. So I think we have to think about, well, how are we influenced by the world? In this world, we breathe the air of our culture, and we can be affected in ways we're not aware. Right. So if you're breathing polluted air or smoke-filled air, you're eventually going to be aware of the toxic effects of that. We're not always aware of the toxic effects of our cultural air That's and good. the values, but we have to be because it's just as dangerous as mm -hmm. the physical effects. So I think that, and I think you, where I concern for the church is what happens when relationships get difficult in the church. Mm -hmm. When disappointment does happen, which it inevitably will. Always will. That throwaway cultural, I'll just go somewhere else. Uh -huh. I don't have to work through this because I can go somewhere else and get a fresh start. Or maybe I've failed some way. Well, why stay in a place where people know that? I can go someplace else and start afresh. The limitation of the New Testament church was there's only one church in town. Uh, and I'm not saying that's the best thing. I'm actually, we want multiple churches because the gospel is expanding so much. Right. So we want to have multiple churches in a community that re are they're reaching that community because the communities are bigger. But it also allows us to go from church to church without really resolving. And when we don't resolve, which means we're often not examining our own heart. So it's not just that there wasn't a relational problem. It may not even be that you weren't the one that was sinned against, but you don't have to go through what resolution would look and so obviously, I mean, there is an inference as well about keep my commandments. I think what immediately clicks into people's minds are the Ten Commandments. Right. But Jesus says the first and the second, you mm -hmm. know, are the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, uh, soul, mind, and strength. And second, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And really, that encompasses all of them. So right. when you see subsequent commandments in the New Testament, such as, as far as it be with you, be at mm -hmm. peace with all men, you see how that functions from those first two commandments, right. you know, in our call to obedience. But what was interesting, you said this statement, it really got my attention. It seems the prevailing wisdom, worldly wisdom from really just for the past few years, because I could not say as much as quote unquote boomers may get a bad rap right now mm -hmm. in our culture, I would never say that this would have been functional in terms of explicit mm -hmm. in the boomer generation, mm -hmm. okay? Boomer generation would have been known for self-sacrifice, mm -hmm. honor, and so forth in terms of laying down one's life. But the prevailing wisdom for the past few years right now is that if you can't love correctly, the problem is there's a deficiency in being able to love yourself correctly. Mm -hmm. And so the wisdom goes, so you got to learn to love yourself first before you can love anyone else. Now, why is this wisdom really bogus and ultimately disastrous for us? Well, it's bogus because you don't find it anywhere in Scripture. Okay. <laughs> so right. even when the world discovers something that's insightful and we go, like, that's insightful, you will find its roots in biblical truth. Right, right. Uh, and that's why I think it has power and makes sense. Uh -huh. 
So the world will use things like better to, to give than receive. And well, there's a biblical truth. Something. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Well, Jesus um, even said. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, but you know how they just, they encapsulate certain things. Right. So the reality is, is you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Now, why? Because I think the Bible's assumption is we love ourselves. All right. And I think you can go back to the Garden of Eden. They wanted to be God without God. They want to be the determiners of right and wrong. Right. So that's self-will. That's, I don't want to give account to someone else. I'm in charge. That's a healthy self-esteem. And actually, sometimes you, know, you can even say there can be ways that when we fall short and we get into self-pity, that's just self-esteem that's been thwarted. We've let down ourselves. We think we're better than we are. And so now when we don't measure up, we go inward. But that still can be representative of self-love. It's just the different side of the coin. So I think, one, Scripture doesn't tell us that anywhere the evidence is we, we do pursue our own interests. That's what comes natural. Right. That's what we're fighting. That's why we have to be born again. We really have to get a new nature. There's just nowhere in Scripture right. that tells us to do that. No, and I find it interesting, too, is that so much of love is equated with freedom. My favorite passage is Galatians 5.13. Mm, uh, right. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as right. an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right. And it really does seem to run counter. It's like... Right. The love of Christ has set you free. Now, love others sacrificially. And don't worry about and be consumed with self-love. As somehow that's the remedy of your problems. It's right. not. I mean, it really is selfishness, and you need to be freed from that. Mm -hmm. You know, And the gospel does do that for us. It's, it's so good. Well, let me ask you this. From time to time, you will reference different terms that you don't necessarily have the time right. uh, to unpack during the message. So this past Sunday, you referenced antinomianism. Mm -hmm. For the benefit of the listeners, what is antinomianism, and why is it a danger to our church? Mm -hmm. I think if I get it right, it's like being against the law. Right? Mm -hmm. The law no longer has relevance, and therefore we don't live according to the call of the law. Why it has relevance, I think, in our culture is it's what the culture wants. I'm an authority to myself. So I think why it can land on us is it goes back to the Garden of Eden. It goes back to the end of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So why these kinds of things land is because they appeal to something in our nature. So we don't want to be under constraints. I don't want someone to say I'm wrong. And so we misapply freedom. So I think the anti-law takes away. And I think ultimately it also devalues God and devalues God's word. So God's holy. The law is actually a good thing, not a bad thing. It's certainly not a good thing to be the means of salvation. Right. So in that way, then it's going to be misused. Correct. So I think we can see how legalism functions. We start to look at the law and we look as we're keepers of the law and because I'm a keeper of the law, I'm acceptable to God. And then that's very dangerous. Oh, yeah. And then we make the law very external. I kept rules, but right. I haven't examined my heart. So I think Jesus actually expands the grasp of the law in the Sermon on the Mount. So he goes, yeah, you say you don't commit adultery, and you're congratulating yourselves, but you lust. Right. You say you don't murder, but you hate your brother. Oh, and yeah. You're congratulating yourselves for you're not doing a crime, but actually you're doing this other thing. Right, which um, is breaking the law. Which yeah. is breaking the law. And so he actually takes the law, I think, deeper and to the heart level. And Paul helps to explain the purpose of the law, right? Yes. It's to show us how depraved we are right. and, and how much we need a Savior because right. we really can't be law keepers right. in a sense in terms of earning God's favor, right. you know, because we're already lawbreakers just by breaking one, as right. James says. You're guilty of breaking all of them. Right. In, in reference to the antinomianism, I know most people aren't going around saying, hey, yeah, I'm antinomian or anything like that. But there can be this distinction between legalism and obedience to God's command. Like there's, a, mm -hmm. there's some dichotomy here. Mm -hmm. Explain, if you could, just clear this up. What is legalism? So legalism would be my performance is what's giving me acceptability before God. Right, so right. I'm going to God based on my merit. So if you have good Protestant theology, 
you're going to know that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think functionally, we still live that way. So right. did I have my quiet time? Yep. Was I angry? Right. And we very much define it externally. Oh, yeah. And it, it is funny because anytime I golf, I make a good shot, approach shot onto the putting green. And, and it's good. I mean, and right. so it's very rare. So, But anytime this happens, the buddies that I'm around, they'll always say, hey, you must have had your quiet time. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And really, it is a legalistic perspective, right. yep. you know, yep. although in jest. Right. But that's yeah, the function. Yeah, so now you have holy living. Right. Know? So now you have favor. That's legalism. So the, I'm meriting God's favor, earning it. It's based on my performance. That always leads to self-congratulation. Look at me. When I think actually when we're growing, we are it's more amazed yeah. that we have no explanation Absolutely. other than God's power. We're aware of our effort in the process, but at the end, we're more aware of God's power and Holy Spirit in us no question. than we are of our obedience. You differentiated between perfect obedience and genuine obedience. And maybe this is really helpful for listeners that have an ache in their heart. It's like, right. I want to obey, but I struggle here. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, does this mean I don't love him? Help us understand the difference. There. If you're in a place of indifference... Or excuse. Okay. That's the danger sign. Your conscience just is not soft. So maybe hard. Right. The worst part of that, you know, your heart's going from indifferent to hard. Mm-hmm. Or you just excuse it out. That would be an area of concern. But I think for the sensitive conscience who really wants to and struggling to obey and yet falls, that's where I think you want to bring assurance. Mm-hmm. There's no condemnation. Because those people, they're wrestling. They're actually asking themselves questions. Is this right for me? So you can answer questions about going to a movie or watching certain things, engaging different activities. You can give a license answer that's dangerous or a legalism answer that's dangerous. But a hard answer is, is this a good thing? Can I thank God for this activity? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of those good questions. Like, if I can thank God for this. But even there, is my conscience being informed by Scripture, not by my conscience alone? Because my, right. my heart can be deceitful. It's actually asking those questions. And I think we're asking ourselves the question, that's a heart that's inclined to want to obey. So there seems to be a genuine yeah. obedience. Yeah. You know, and I think fun. grieved when you do feel like right. that was grieving. Oh, yeah. Rather than excuse or indifferent, not caring. That's the heart I want to encourage that you are, you're inclined to want to obey God. Right. The heart that wants to just tribute liberty all the time. Right. Right. would be a more concerning heart because you don't want to have it actually self-examination right. and you don't want someone else to ask you a question either. Well, I think David Pallison quoted uh, or coined this phrase and I thought, and it stuck with me that fits with genuine uh, obedience is that uh, repentance is the normal Christian life, right. not the abnormal. Right. You know, so there is a sensitivity to recognize, wow, I still fall short right. and how I need his grace, right. not just to forgive, but to empower. And that does seem to be the genuineness because there's a tenderness, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when convicted, I want to turn because I want to honor the Lord. Lastly, love motivates our obedience. Describe for us how God's word functions as a primary means for you to motivate your love and your obedience for God. Well, I, I think we need to be in God's word. If we're not in God's word, someone's thoughts are going to inform us and influence us. <laughs> and usually it'll be our own. Yeah. And so people always say, I want to think my own thoughts. I'm like, well, then you're your own influence. Uh, so you're not this objective, <laughs> yeah. independent thinker. I don't want to read a book. Well, some, then somebody else is influencing your thoughts. So believing that, I want to be influenced by God's thoughts. Right. So I think if we're not in God's word, how are we going to know? There's going to be no plumb line. Um, there's going to be no truth. I'm much more led, going to be led by emotions and my, my own desires or the deception of the world. We have an enemy. You know, Satan does oppose our souls. Absolutely. He's the tempter and the accuser. So I need to have someone inform me. So God's word, believing God's word is inspired and authoritative. I need to be in God's word. Right. And I need God's word to inform me. And if I don't have God's word to inform me, 
come to love others, I may misdefine that grievously. And people have. Mm -hmm. It'd be more loving for me to leave my marriage than to stay in. So ridiculous. This would be more loving. So ridiculous. your problem is you've misdefined love completely. Self-deceived. So you're self-deceived. So I need to be careful that I'm not self-deceived. So the only way I get that is a mirror, and God's Word becomes a mirror Amen. to us. Amen. That's, well, we do have a few resources available mm-hmm. for all of our listeners uh, in the church. We, we actually developed one, How Do I Study the Bible Daily? And it's using the REAP acronym. You can go ahead and check that out on our website. REAP stands for Read, Examine, Apply, and Pray. I would encourage you to check it out. And if you don't have a normal daily routine, we actually have some different Bible reading plans that you can possibly check out and try. I'm in year three of Tim Chester's that he developed in. Right now, I'm currently reading in Genesis, and I love it. Mm -hmm. I just absolutely love being God's Word and having it reshape my thinking and really inform my love for Mm -hmm. him. Well, let me switch gears if I can real quickly. This past Sunday, we uh, celebrated Sanctity of Life Sunday. Why do we observe this, and what counsel would you give to Christians to think more broadly, if you would, about this topic. Well, I think when we think about sanctity of life, the great reminder is that we're all made in the image of God, and every life is valuable. That's good. It is the unborn, and obviously that's the specific nature of this, but I wanted to remind us broader than that. Sanctity of all life, mm-hmm. the unborn and the born, all cultures, all ethnic groups, all are made in the image of God. That has massive implications for us. How do I relate to someone made in the image of God when I know that God loved the world inclusively. So I think that's why we celebrate that. And then I think where we want to be careful as a church, and I think historically as a church, we don't want to get so involved in the cause that we don't love our neighbor. So right. it's easier to be involved in a cause, pro-life or whatever, or some kind of moral cause. And, you know, where's America going? And where's America drifting? And, you know, we get involved in these big causes, but, well, how are you loving your neighbor? Literally right. your neighbor. Right. Your coworker, your friend, your unbelieving family members. But Christians get high and mighty on a cause sometimes, but they're not loving in the practical relationships they have. So we want to make sure we're balancing That's those good. things, that we stand for truth, but we're loving to people. So even as I'm standing for truth, I'm thinking of the person I'm maybe in opposition to, they're made in the image of God as well. Yeah, so I mean, what's been beneficial, I know that we've tried to sow this in the life of the church mm-hmm. the past few years is, is understanding it, it, abortion is a huge issue. Right. There's no question no about, question. you know, for the unborn to be um, advocates that way. But it's also for the aged and infirm. Yep. It's also for those who are enslaved and downtrodden. And to yep. think that we don't live in a culture or a world that has slavery where it exists, we are just woefully deceived. And so it really does understand that the sanctity of life is that life is sacred because we are image makers yes. and we're called to reflect the image yep. of God. I'm grateful for this. I'm saddened by this. Every time mm-hmm. when we celebrate, there's a there's a sense of grief, yeah. you yeah. know, as well and mourning. But praying, you know, mm-hmm. the Lord, let your kingdom come, mm-hmm. you know, especially on, on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, well, let me ask you, on Monday, we celebrated a, an important holiday, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Mm-hmm. Now, this is specifically for the United States, no question. Understand that. But describe for us, if you could, its importance for us and why this holiday, in a sense, is necessary. Well, certainly, um, as far as social reform, he just did an outstanding job. And this was a, a grievous, it's not just grievous history. There's ongoing grievous occurrences. And so to see this as an issue, with what we just said, name the image of God, and then how treat it. Um, so whether that's historical, whether that's contemporary, he was a champion. Mm-hmm. And he brought awareness this, to this issue in winsome ways. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that's why this is important. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's important to continue to be thinking about it um, because I think we can assume there are differences. It's not the same world it was. We can assume, and there has been progress, but we can start to make assumptions about the progress made, and we're not really thinking broadly enough. I think it also makes us sensitive to one another. You know, what are other people's experiences? And that was one of the things that people didn't consider. I mean, obviously, in past history, that could grieve us. I mean, mm -hmm. wicked, but it still functions. How do I understand the experience of someone else made in the image of God and what they what they go through in life, particularly a brother and sister in the Lord? Uh, and we are to have a specific, particular love for them. They can have a different life history and one of the things that can be hard for us to relate to. So I think it's good to honor him what he accomplished, uh, the ways he accomplished, uh, what he stood for in civil rights, uh -huh. the reforms, civil reforms he brought about. So I think that's worth honor. And then to be currently aware is important, too. There's still much to be done and much, much to, be, to done. be done even within the church, you know, so that we're not just thinking in a sense extra locally that we're missing the application even in our local body, yep. you know, and I think the assumption is because of sin, there is a prejudicial treatment that mm -hmm. functions mm -hmm. throughout the world, throughout right. all history. But as Christians, we've been given the image of God back, you know, and that is love, mm -hmm. perfection, it mm -hmm. is harmony. And we're mm -hmm. called to be doers in that way, really primarily to do that in the church mm -hmm. and see that exported. Mm -hmm. So there are ways that I feel like, you know, with Martin Luther King, I remember my parents had in music growing up. Uh, you probably remember different albums your parents had played. <laughs> I'll never forget Stevie Wonder's Hotter Than July was mm -hmm. the album, and it was that song, Happy Birthday. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was all about Martin Luther King before the holiday was, mm -hmm. was established. And just the learning that took mm -hmm. place as a young man, you know, yeah. and really the sensitivity yeah. and the heart, you know, of really pain, you right. know what I'm saying, for right. the racism and others that are my friends, mm -hmm. you know, that I have to endure and still do it, endure mm -hmm. today. And wanted to see that change, yeah. you know, but wanted to see that change with us, you know, and yep. within the church where racism really has no place, yeah. Yeah. you know, in the body of Christ. Lord willing, we're going to see it, you yep. know, and uh, well, we will see it one day. We will see it But one we day. will continue to, to move in that direction mm -hmm. as well until the Lord comes. Well, that's all the time that we have today. I'm sorry, there's so many other topics Thanks, I know Jason. we'd love to get, but thank you for your time, Warren. Really appreciate it. Thank you as well, listening to another episode of Church Matters. We'd love to see um, you continue to afford any questions that you might have to us. You can go ahead and do that on our website. But before we close, just want to issue a shout out to our friend Kenny Smith, who has been helping us with all the editing and producing of our podcast for SGC. Kenny, thank you so much for serving us so well and sacrificially, brother. We love you and grateful for you. Thank you, Kenny. And hope to hear and see you next week.